0: Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. Faith here with your welcome toast. If you've lost your appetite, I think I have it. I got that. It's great to have you joining the party on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze, inviting you to eat, drink, and be merry. I keep running into people who say to me, Chris, they say, sometimes it just makes me too hungry. (laughs) So I just want to (laughs) say... You know, maybe you should have a snack uh, before the yes. show starts Get, get and,
2: pretzels ready you know and <laughs> for it show does starting. the same
1: to us too, you know it makes us excited. We try and defer that energy and cook something or go out and eat something. <laughs> I get it listen we 're going to celebrate cultures on this show. My treasured food buddies are here. Senior contributor Chris Prosperi and Robin Doyan Aiken is also senior producer of the show he, we, we just celebrated. Uh, Chris and Robin Persian Iranian New Year, and I would invite you to find a good Persian cook, home cook, mm. or the best, or a restaurant. It is gorgeous food. I I like to celebrate um, holidays from different cultures, and because it gets me to to try new things. Do you, do you find yeah. it, once I was roaming around mm. in Boston, and someone said to me, "Okay, well, let's eat at this Burmese restaurant." The food was so hot. But the, I knew that if, if I had asked for it a different way, I would have loved the spice mixture in in that culture. Mm-hmm. We can go to Afghani restaurants oh, yeah. right now, certainly oh, Chinese, French, Italian. Yeah, you know, South African, North
2: oh, African, yeah. Egyptian. Do you remember I – mean, it? just uh, all that stuff.
1: One time in New Haven, I was driving down the road. I've probably said this on the show before. Yeah. Forgive me. But driving right down the main street, and there was a sign that had popped up on – the main street in New Haven is Chapel. All kinds of restaurants stores, everything down there, Yale University, and the sign pops up and it says "Polish Indian cuisine <laughs> <laughs> i know I I'm, I'm just can 't stand it that i didn 't go in there. There was a place in Wallingford that specialized in mexican italian well,
3: mexican well, Italy, yes
1: yeah. I, mean, that I, just, I
3: the, can kind of see but Polish Indian, I'm. I'm a, I can't. Well, you think I about wish I
1: have gone. what you know—pierogies with a kind of curry sauce—is what I'm thinking oh, in my head. I
2: don't
3: know. Okay. I, I have
1: no
2: idea. Yep, okay, so try some things, oh, um, yeah. especially when you're in the cities, right? Like New Haven, Hartford. Hartford has great little Jamaican restaurants, right? Okay. And you—and it just gets you out of the norm. And maybe you're heading to an Italian restaurant because it's a normal thing, and it's a restaurant you go to. Just take a left turn and go try something new. There's Listen, so West many West Haven,
1: Connecticut, Afghanistan. Sure. Spain over in East yeah. Haven, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. You know, this just goes Puerto on
2: Rican on. in the Hartford area,
1: no, right? Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh yeah, yeah and. Falafel in and
3: Waterbury. Yeah, falafels <laughs> and Waterbury. <laughs> sure. Right. sure.
1: <laughs> All right, back to Persian for okay. a second, Iranian yep. food. I have friends who are Persian-Iranian, and they—I've eaten at their homes, and there is—if you find a good Persian restaurant, there is a crispy rice dish. It's very—it's a classic thing. It takes a long time to make. It is so— delicious. Mm. So try that among many other things. We're going to tell you about how to make a special thing in Rhode Island that goes with some Easter food, because Easter is on the way. We've got a special matzah thing coming your way. Passover around the corner. (laughs) Passover coming. So here we go. For ham, Chris and Robin, Mm. one of my favorite things is to take a jar of peach preserves or peach jam that I buy. I don't make it myself. And then coat the ham on the outside and put in some cloves, stud it with nice. a few cloves and bake yeah. it in the oven. Of course, it really crisps up on the yeah. outside because of the sugar in the jam, but that peach flavor is really something. Do you ever have ham a, or do Yeah, you...
2: I'm a foil, guy. do you foil? I'm a foil guy.
1: No, I don't. All right, know.
2: so what I mean when I'm, I'm a foil guy, I take my ham and I glaze it, right? And with what, I, what you... I change, like I like a mustard. Because I like that kind of spiciness. So I'll do a like Dijon and whole grain mustard. I'll mix in a little bourbon and then mm. just sort of glaze it and then I like make an envelope with the foil and I sort of make a package and I put that in the roasting Do you pan. leave
1: a little space around? No, the I get right right, up yeah, right, in
2: a nice and tight and I bake it in that foil pouch. What does that do? Keeps all the moisture in, all the juices in, it doesn't dry out and then for, I don't know, the last 15 minutes I'll pop it open, I'll crank my oven and I'll get the glaze to like get crispy. <gasps> yeah.
4: that but sounds I just like, good. I don't know,
2: I just like it because when you cook it in the foil, it, it does cook a little faster, but it also keeps all that juices inside.
1: I like uh, that. And now I mean, you're making me want to put just a little bourbon oh, in my yeah. peach jam. Uh-huh. Wouldn't that be good? I'm going to make it better. <laughs> I know. I th- really, seriously. And if you can't have alcohol, go just with the peach uh. jam. Or if you don't want to have alcohol, I should mm. say. Robin, are
3: you a ham? We're, we're tr- more do- traditional, you know, brown sugar glaze. Um, I try to keep the ham really simple because I know that I'm going to have that all week. So if we start off with something really simple and basic, I can use it to do a bunch of different things later and not worry about a, a certain flavor. In there. Now
1: we are going to try, we're going to try <laughs> to bring you a little something about what to do with that leftover ham, and it includes a ham carbonara Ooh. on mm. pasta. Just think of it in your mind and create that. Just pretend that the bacon That you would have in a traditional carbonara, look up a recipe, substitute the ham. But before
2: we move off ham, we have to note that you can get like one of the best hams in the world here in mm. Connecticut and that's Nodine's
1: mm-hmm. in and, Goshen in
2: Goshen Connecticut where I'm from where I spent most of my summers as a kid and, and why
1: is it among the I best just, I, I agree d- it's
2: just the perfect it's amount smoked, of salt and smoked smoked. smoky and mm-hmm. sweet not too it's sweet beautiful. not too salty that's that's where you get your ham this year <laughs> you little devil no, I'm telling you the ham but is you know so what? good yeah. and get a p- half pound of beef jerky while you're there because
1: you know what best. while you're there Get a half pound of everything because I love a road trip to that place. I I suddenly say, I'd like some smoked turkey and give some smoked ham and smoked cheese. And suddenly I've got a a whole giant thing going on. Okay, when you were growing up, I don't know if your parents did ham. Chris, your mother was Austrian. Your father French. Easter. My mother, Scottish, Uh, I don't know where she got this, whether it was reading 50s magazines or what, because (laughs) this isn't Scottish. But she would take a ham and pour a bottle of Coke over it and then stud it all over with cloves. And into the oven it would go. It would get this caramelized thing from the Coke. (laughs)
2: <laughs> and it, it was delicious. It's a classic American, and down south in the Dallas and Texas area, it Coca-Cola, was Doctor Pepper. It was Doctor Pepper. Pepper. Same recipe you're talking so, about. You know, it's but all Dr. the sugar. It's the sugar the and the, the caramel. Because you could probably re- put ginger ale on it, and it's got that caramel already in there, right? That so that makes it just so
3: much better. Mm. Robin, you grew up with ham. Um, or- we did, but it's the same one that I make. With just the brown sugar. See how we revert to and, tradition. And sometimes pineapple. That yeah, might be a 50s right? magazine. You're no, supposed
2: <laughs> <the>, With cherries,
3: <laughs> right? You have to stick
2: them. How many magazine pictures has that been in, right? The, yeah. The, the studded think, with the pineapple. I remember pineapple? gourmet?
1: I think gourmet Everybody. even did that.
2: Every magazine on earth had that at one and time. And if
1: you come upon those old copies, the color is all kind of crazy. <laughs> you know, it looks like something kind of. Technicolor. Technicolor. <laughs> Technicolor. Um, Well, in my world, if you're having ham – and, you know, we shouldn't overlook lamb because spring lamb, it's a huge thing. But to come back to ham, in my world, if you're having ham, you need two other things. You need fresh asparagus, which is coming to us very shortly. And do you remember – can we put this up? The brown butter easy blender hollandaise to put Mm. on that asparagus. I forgot
2: about that. We'll that would be back. perfect for the holidays. And
1: even if you don't do the brown butter version, which takes a minute to just brown the butter, but if you don't want to do that and it freaks you out, just use our recipe for mm-hmm. the blender Holidays. And I think, Chris, this yeah, was so your simple. recipe. Yes, yeah, so simple. No, it, you cannot fail with this thing. Nope. It is so delicious. Blender
2: does all the work for
1: you. Okay. So that's at foodschmooze.org. And if you ask me, because I said two things besides the asparagus, yeah, what's the, other one? the other thing is that, and I think it is the best thing on the table, better than the ham, better than anything else biscuits.
4: Ah. Uh, you just want to have biscuits yeah. with your ham. Soak right? up all that
1: juice. Oh, it's just so good. Butter on them. Flaky. Oh. There's so many recipes for biscuits, so we're not going to presume to tell you what to do, but there are some super easy biscuit recipes out there, and super complicated ones. But I'd say if you're not used to making biscuits, do the easy way. You could go to the supermarket. I'm going to say get, that you and know get what? Get your poppin' and fresh. We
2: we <laughs> the la- I can't remember whatever the last holidays. One of my servers <laughs> brought in one of the tubes, yeah. right?
1: Crescent rolls or No, it was the
2: biscuits. You know, they – and I I haven't seen them in years. I totally forgot what they were. And you sort of – so you twist it a little and it It sort of pops pops. open. And then they sort of break apart and you just put them on a – Cookie sheet and you throw them in the oven. But can I can I just add a quick thing yeah. here? Really, uh, one thing
1: you want to do is just brush them the tops with a little melted butter. We did.
2: Because, you did. We did. And a little sea salt on top because. Oh. Now these were not. We weren't selling these. We were just. He brought in a tube and he's like, "Could you bake these for us? It's a long shift. It's a holiday." <laughs> I'm like, "Sure, I guess." And I tell you what, they were gone in a second, and everyone did. Only, they taste
1: chemical like, you go- know what?
2: I don't know if it was just. I don't know what it was. I can't explain what it was, but they were simple. Good. They were easy. Taste of childhood. They were in a blink. They were gone, and everyone, a whole staff, loved them. Oh. So who's to say, right? And,
1: and can I invite you to look up a recipe for cream biscuits? Cream biscuits. These are the easiest biscuits in the world. If you are a non-biscuit maker, the easiest in the world, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, it's three ingredients. Nice. You don't have to do
2: anything. You don't have to. T- I'm all about It's just that, fabulous. Especially on the holidays. Enough work already. <laughs>
3: okay. Yeah. Plus, you need to make a little um, ham sandwich after with a good mustard and your leftover yeah. biscuits. Oh, yeah. yes.
1: Yeah. Ham and mustard. Yeah, you that's know. it right oh, there. Right? that's right. It's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's say you're gluten-free or you're just a nut about cornbread, as I am. Ooh, I right. would like to talk about. A thing, and it's cultural because this is a Rhode Island thing. Johnny cakes, yeah. So Johnny cakes are really corn cakes, except that in most traditional cornbread, corn cake recipes, you would have white flour. This ends up not by intention, but it ends up being gluten free. All you need is a cast iron skillet. And a bowl. And in that bowl, the trick to Johnny Cakes in Rhode Island is they insist on white cornmeal. There are some heritage places there that grind white cornmeal. White corn, yeah. Okay, so let's say you've got white cornmeal. You put it in a bowl with just a teaspoon of sugar. So you've got a cup of this white cornmeal, a teaspoon of sugar, a little pinch of salt – And then slowly you add a cup of boiling water. I made these last night. And you stir, 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 stir as you're slowly adding the boiling water. You know what you've got? Like a pancake batter, like a kind of thicker consistency pancake batter. Then you take a cast iron skillet to make Johnny Cakes. You put a little slick of bacon grease. So if you're making bacon, do not throw that away. That's right. Throw it in a container and toss it in the freezer. You know, Or let it cool and scrape it up with a spoon while it oh. is solid and put in a plastic thing and throw it in the freezer. You just like a spoonful in the bottom, just a slick in the bottom of that cast iron skillet. And a spoonful, you get the skillet hot, spoonful, spoonful, like you're making pancakes, and you wait for it to get golden crispy. So all that's in there is cornmeal and salt and oil. And that's it. And that is it. Golden crispy on one side. You got to watch it carefully yeah, cuz yeah. they go they and turn then they fast. Flip. flip them over, golden crispy on the other side, and then you just hold it in your hand and you eat it. You nice. could eat it with a knife and fork with maple yeah. syrup, but if you are a cornbread nut the way I am, oh, they are that so That would be so incredible. good with Easter. Right, with the yeah, ham with and the ham. asparagus
2: and the hollandaise. I'm in.
1: And if you're mm-hmm. a gluten-free person, you know, we know there are just millions of people now who are, who are developing these allergies to the gluten in wheat. Well, this is your way to go. And if you're driving through Rhode Island on the way to the Cape, you got to look it up. Go to you got to get
2: Johnny Cakes. Yeah, I like it.
1: You know, or make them at home yourself. Make it, if that's, it's mm-hmm. as
2: easy as that. I've never, you that's know what, it. I'm being honest, I've never made them. Okay, I've read it, about them. I've heard them. I've eaten them, but I've never made them.
1: A cup of boiling water. Yeah. A sprinkle of salt to yeah. your taste. I like a lot of salt. Yeah. That's just the way I am. Yeah. A teaspoon of sugar. Yeah. You just pour that cup of boiling water in slowly and stir, 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 yeah. stir. And stir. a fine ground cornmeal or well, a... the white cornmeal yeah. has a special grind to okay, it. Gotcha. That's why they do it yeah. there, cake. But yeah. you know yeah. what?
2: Yeah. I, Use cornmeal.
1: I, I don't even worry about it. Okay, so <laughs> it's going to be good no matter what. This is. I mean, please. I hope this makes. Your Easter, you know, or you're going to make biscuits, whatever you're going to do. I'm doing the cornmeal. I'm doing the Johnny cake thing. Yeah. If you want to add a little bit more sugar, I guess you could do that too. It's up to you. All right. So we've got a lot of things we're talking about celebrating the sort of holiday and cultural traditions that are all around us right now. You know, join with friends who are from other places and try their food. If you're lucky enough to get an invitation for a home cooked <laughs> meal, you are so lucky. The and that's p- how
3: you try the new things, is because it's a holiday food, and your you know holidays are up for anything. It's the gateway into that culture. I like that you're saying that, Robin. And if you want yeah. to spend
1: a few days in Queens, the Queens section of New York, you can eat. Yeah. This is where Chris was born. You can eat around the world and not only around the world, but some of the best of around the
2: world, Uh, the best street food on the planet
1: right here in our region
2: yeah. amazing
1: food from around the
2: world yep. amazing yeah we were saying Jamaican and Hartford Puerto yeah. Rican, every, look for where the people from those places are eating we've and you'll got, know you've know, got the good you ones
1: you know what we've got coming up we have Leah Koenig who has done a book called modern Jewish cooking and I don't care what culture you are from religion whatever there are some great recipes in here We've got all kinds of stuff coming your way. More mouth-watering conversation and fun ahead on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. I hope you will make a charitable contribution to Feed the Hungry. We're online now at foodschmooze.org, and we'll be right back.
2: Out of sight. Cornbread said, Now that's all right. Meet me on the corner tomorrow
4: night. I'll be ready.
1: We have a free podcast for you, meaning you'll never miss a drop of pleasure on this show. All you do is go to our site, you sign up for it once, and then we automatically send you the Foochmoos every week, o r g, and you'll see podcast delivery. And you can also listen to our podcast on that site if you want to. I'm with my treasured food buddies. I just adore these people: Chris Brasberry, chef and co-owner of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury, Connecticut, and wine broker Alex Province of Hartford. Here we go. When it comes to food and culture, everybody's Irish on St. Patrick's Day, Puerto Rican when the homemade coquito drink comes out in January, and everybody's Jewish on Passover or Rosh Hashanah. I start craving fork tender brisket, potato pancakes, the carrot simis. And sometimes on the show, we like to do a mashup of holidays for Easter instead of ham. We'll try Puerto Rican pork shoulder marinated in garlic, fresh citrus and wine. Well, we're about to celebrate Passover, so we have what will no doubt be mouth-watering conversation with the author of Modern Jewish Cooking, the classics or new wave Jewish cooking. Around here, we love tradition and we love what's new. We have the author of the book, Leah Koenig, and you probably have seen her name in so many of your most loved publication. She's an authority on Jewish cooking. Welcome to the Food Schmooze Party, Leah. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, It's great to have you here, especially. We wanted to start with something that is so popular with so many people, Jewish, not Jewish, blintzes. And mm-hmm. I love this take of yours, doing orange-scented cheese blintzes. Can I just run down the ingredients? You make a batter for the blintzes of either milk or almond milk eggs, sugar, all-purpose flour, vanilla extract, and salt, and then that filling of ricotta. You can use low-fat or full-fat, confectioner's sugar, orange zest, a little bit of butter for frying. us, a part we love. <laughs> Maybe some fresh berries on top, some sour cream. Tell us about this recipe.
0: Well, blintzes are one of my absolute favorite Eastern European-inspired Jewish dishes. You know, just for folks who aren't familiar, I basically think of them as a crepe that's filled with either, you can go with mashed potato or you can kind of go sweet with fruit and one of the more common ones is uh, cheese filled blimpses so Mm. you're not thinking like fontina or cheddar you're thinking more like a cottage cheese or farmers cheese filling traditionally
1: now Um, why is that do you want the flavor to be neutral or that's what was around
0: probably back in Eastern Europe um, they used a lot of farmers cheese and Mm. that's what was available And it also has, like you said, a really mild flavor that pairs really well when they're pan-fried and pairs also really well with fruit, Mm. like a fruit topping. So, you -hmm. know, what I tried to do is take the traditional dish and update it for today's taste by adding some orange zest and some flavors that kind of brighten it and make it a little bit more contemporary.
1: Yeah, Um, I love the orange zest touch in this. Yeah. That's, that's a beautiful, that's so beautiful thing. Thanks. And what we have here, I love this recipe in particular because first, I love blintzes, mm-hmm. and with a little bit of a slight crisp on the outside and then that yummy texture, that velvety inside. But we can see from other cultures that all of them blend together. So. We have, in France, we have the orange peel hanging above the stove Mm -hmm. to put orange zest in so many stews. We Mm -hmm. have the Italian influence. You think about the communities in Italy that were Jewish-Italian. There is so much intermixing of cultures here. And then a lot of Jews moved to the Lower East Side, right, Leah? And then it was, it became a cheese that was available. If you couldn't get farmer's cheese from the Italian neighborhood, you got cottage cheese.
0: True, yeah. One of the things I love about Jewish cuisine in general is that it's actually a very global cuisine. A lot of people think of it as being specifically Eastern European food, which is true to an extent because a lot of Jews, especially Jews who moved to America, are have that background. But, you know, there's Jews all over the world, everywhere from China to Mexico to South Africa, and you know, they all have food traditions that go back, in many cases, thousands of years. So, you know, when you're talking about Jewish cuisine, it's really fun to kind of explore the global aspects of it.
1: There are things in these cultures, no matter what the culture is, that are really kind of shocking to the palate. For other people outside the culture, I'm thinking about Marmite in England, Mm. you know, in Britain, where you just go, wow, what is that? And you have to get used to it. But if you grew up with it, there are other things that have stuck around so long, because they're just good. And I think blintzes are one of those things, right, Leah?
0: I think so, too. I do want to say these particular blintzes are not uh, Passover is coming up, and they're not a Passover-friendly recipe, but they are following holiday after Passover. It's called Shaluo, and it's a very dairy-focused holiday for yep. reasons we can talk about on another show. So it's actually a very good a recipe for um, a springtime holiday that's coming up.
1: Good thought. Okay, let's go into something that is very well known as Passover arrives, and that is the matzo ball. There is so much, just like the meatball, there are family recipes. There are people who add this and that, one to make it lighter, another one who's doing a gourmet treatment, another one who's who does it because this is the way my family did it. And you have a, a parsley matzo ball recipe.
0: Yeah, you know, matzo balls are just one of those quintessential dishes um, or parts of a dish that you, you eat them, obviously, in, in chicken soup. Um, that people get really sort of particular about. You know, you want it to taste just like your grandmother made it or your mother or father made it. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to kind of stray too far from the original classic, A, because it's delicious as it is, and B, because people sort of, really want the tradition. So what I try to do with my matzo balls is to just tweak them just a tiny bit to add a little bit of freshness. So the one recipe that you mentioned, it's a basic matzo ball that just gets kind of amped up and brightened up with a shock of green parsley, which really isn't so crazy to do, because mm-hmm. um, parsley is usually part of the soup. But I have another recipe in there for a jalapeno and shallot matzo ball. That's, yeah. That one's a little bit, <laughs> a little bit wilder. Um, I love then, it. You know, it takes the traditional lots ball and just infuses it with a little bit of spice and a little bit of that caramelized shallot flavor. So it sounds crazy, but it actually tastes well within the, the realm of tradition, but with just a little bit of a twist. Oh,
1: so. we hmm. love it. I was going to bring that up. These are on facing pages in the book, which is called Modern Jewish Cooking. The author is with us, Leah Koenig. You've probably seen her name. She writes about Jewish food an awful lot in a lot of publications that we like. Some of the recipes we've been talking about are on our website at foodschmooze.org. When you say modern Jewish cooking, when you say I'm updating or putting a spin, what's your philosophy about how to do that? Uh
0: It's a good question, and I think it's a question that every generation of Jewish cooks kind of has to answer for themselves because, you know, how we eat is sort of always evolving. But for me, what it means is really having an eye to seasonal flavors and, you know, local and, and seasonal ingredients. And then also, as you were talking about earlier on the show, blending cultures within a cuisine. Jewish tradition has so many cultures contributing to the larger canon of the cuisine, but also just reaching outside of the Jewish world and saying, what's around us, you know, what's inspiring, and how can we play in a fun way with flavor? That to me is what modern means, is new and interesting flavors and a sense of seasonality.
1: Well, we have here a Moroccan chicken with preserved lemons, mm-hmm. and everyone here in this oh, room, we are nuts about preserved lemons, and so this would be a dish for Moroccan Jews on Shabbos, right, and Yom Kippur? Yeah,
0: um, it would be definitely a dish that you would see on the Sabbath table. Preserved lemons are a hugely popular ingredient throughout North Africa and the Middle East. They've found their way into um, Israeli cooking via those channels, and Chicken is kind of the quintessential Shabbat dish in Eastern European cuisine, you'd have a basic roast chicken. And this, for me, was a way of looking to the Moroccan and Moroccan Jewish tradition and saying, you know, how can we find new ways to do things that make them a little more interesting than what we've had growing up? And I'm talking about me with my own background being Eastern European.
1: And we're fully aware on the show because we love both, no matter what the holiday, what the culture, we love tradition and we love what's new Mm -hmm. and how things change. And so we respect you. If you say, I want to make it the way my family made it, that's important too for memory, for whatever. And then we love people who are doing what Leah's doing saying, How can I update this a little bit, put a twist in this that makes it a little more interesting? Mm-hmm. In the end, as long as it's good, as long as it's about memory. I will say, Leah, that when I went to France leading a food trip for our listeners, One of my guides, a Frenchman who has taught me so much about French wine, said to me when I gave him the the restaurant menus, he said, I think you should say to the chefs on the tour, we want you to cook what your mother made. Mm. And we did that. And he said, you will experience France in a way that nobody does anymore. So there's a great debate about things changing in all these cultures no doubt some of the people doing the innovative things, like Ferran Adria in spain are it's like fabulous and exciting and interesting, and then we have the traditionalists, so I love this interplay, the borrowing food's always changing right leah
0: exactly you know, that's I think that's the exact right point is that tradition is is wonderful, and we can 't forget it because it 's the foundation of everything but We'd be wrong to say that food is not ever-evolving. Even even what our mothers cooked, our grandmothers, our great-grandmothers cooked, they were influenced by the world around them. So to the extent that our world changes and we change, I think food is an honest reflection of who we are in a given time. I think tweaking and changing sounds maybe like an interesting thing to do, but it's actually just a very natural thing to do. So as long as you kind of have... Your, your heart in the right place of, of wanting to mm-hmm. honor the past and honor the traditional. I think you have a very solid foundation to play. Yeah.
2: I like um, the idea of the latkes. Some people have applesauce with it, depending on where they're from, and some people have sour cream with it, right? And that just mm-hmm. shows you one dish in the Jewish culture that, from two different areas, is done two different ways.
1: And then I go into a restaurant in New York, Latanzi, which specializes in Roman Jewish cooking. I learn mm-hmm. all about, mm-hmm. from that restaurant, the intersection of jewish and italian cuisine and wow. it's a whole other ball game yeah. and it's fabulous so it, it is. I, is there abudanza <laughs> in a way there certainly is okay so i think italians and jews certainly always afraid and scots i'm scotch mm-hmm. Is always afraid that there is not enough on the table, you know. So, um, so you have a lasagna, you know. You'll find that a lot of the recipes in this book, Modern Jewish Cooking, are gluten-free spinach matzah lasagna.
0: Um, not yes, this
1: yes. one. No, but but go ahead.
0: Yeah, spinach matzah lasagna is definitely not gluten-free unless you use a gluten-free matzah, But it is a twist on lasagna, which you know, obviously, everybody loves hot cheesy casserole with noodles. How can you go wrong? But when you're talking about Passover, there's so many things you can't eat and so many things that you're sort of missing Mm -hmm. and craving that people have found ways to kind of make things that are reminiscent of some of those foods. So in the last maybe 10 or 15 years, masa lasagna has come up as a very popular either weeknight dish or um, holiday post or lunch dish where you replace the noodles with softened masa. And I have to tell you, I make this year-round because you actually can't tell. Like, you can tell that it's not noodles,
1: but it is delicious. Mm. Um, And it's a little bit lighter. That's
4: an
2: awesome idea. Isn't it a cool idea? So you just take the matzah and put it on as the layer. yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask, essentially, these are the same things. We're talking about flour and water, sometimes egg. Why is matzah... Different in terms of its deliciousness from regular noodles?
0: You know, it's got a a little bit of a lighter quality than the noodles. You know how when you eat lasagna and it's delicious, but you end up feeling like a little bit like you have a brick in your stomach? Mm -hmm. Um, So this just lightens it up just enough so the cheese and the vegetables, the spinach and the sauce kind of shine through without the, you know, it's still obviously a carbohydrate base, but it's not quite such a heavy one. I just find that extra lightness to be a really nice,
1: nice touch. We have this recipe on our website for the spinach matzah lasagna. And Leah Koenig, may I ask you, I'm someone who thinks a lot about the texture in my mouth, so I like that crispy thing going on somehow. Mm. Would it be okay if in the end I crumbled up a little matzah on the top so I had a little bit of crispy, crunchy stuff going on?
0: I don't I would do that because the reason the matzah works so well in lasagna is because it soaks up the flavor. And if you had mm. just plain matza on top, I think it wouldn't have the right flavor. But what I would do is, you know how you can um, cook Parmesan on a baking sheet till mm. it gets kind of crunchy? Mm. I might make a few Parmesan crunchy crumbles and crumble that.
1: Oh, on now you're talking. That's much better than
5: my idea. Well, wait, what about cooking the matzo in chicken fat? And then sprinkling it on top. well oh, that's good.
0: Now you're talking. <laughs> now you're talking our language. Also, you know what? Honestly, you couldn't do that if you were serving a kosher meal because there's cheese in the, in the lasagna. Right, right. that's right. So you can't mix cheese and uh, meat. But if that's not a concern, then, then have at it. Yeah,
4: okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, oh you so, could
0: also You could also fry up some shallots or fry up something kind of like. Oh, yeah.
1: Love that now, idea. I've now got my juices to right now. I <laughs> I go lasagna. To, we need to all <laughs> I'll go to the kitchen immediately. Um, let's go to the dessert category because here is something that is in fact gluten-free and that would be the chocolate almond meringues. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never made meringue because I'm not a baker. I'm always afraid of baking. I'm going to ruin things. So really it's egg whites and cream of tartar and um, confectioner's sugar and regular sugar, bittersweet baking chocolate and roasted unsalted almonds that you chop up fine. So how how hard is it to make the meringue?
0: You know, my mom made meringues every single Passover, so you know I grew up watching her make them, mm. but never actually trying it. And so when I when I first tried it five or six years ago, I was a little nervous to make them, partly because she had made them so deliciously, and how can you live up to that? But. I was surprised at how not difficult it was. The real trick to meringues is you want to beat the egg whites. You want everything to be really cold, and you want to beat it until it has the, the right peaks to it so that it'll hold its shape when you bake it. Mm. Um, but from there, you just you pipe it on the baking sheet, and you bake it at a really low temperature. So it, it's more, instead of cooking, it more dries out. It almost dehydrates. And you're left with this sort of crackly outside and very melty, chewy inside. So um, I like that are,
1: contrast. <laughs> yeah,
0: meringues are really worth um, learning how to do. They're delicious. I know. And I, I try to walk you through how to do it in the well, book. When
1: I go to a meal at Passover, I will offer to bring dessert, and so I'm out buying the meringues, so I have mm-hmm. to see if I'm brave enough to do this. Recipes and the cookbook online at foodschmooze.org. Leah Koenig, great guest. Thank you so much for being with us, and I hope we talk to you again. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, her book, Modern Jewish Cooking. We love the local. Please support your local food growers and food makers for on demand podcast delivery of the Food Schmooze Party every week. And to find our food, wine, and cocktail recommendations, restaurants, hot topics, everything, videos, go to foodschmooze.org. We'll be right back. Let's do matzah. This is the Food Schmooze Party Offering the richness of life And coming to you in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts in New York, including Westchester County, the east end of Long Island. That means, of course, the Hamptons. The senior producer of the show is Robin Doyon Aiken. To hear us on WNPR, the show airs Thursdays at 3 and Saturdays at noon. Podcasts and our curated recommendations are always online at foodschmooze.org. Of course, you can talk with us on Facebook, as everybody does. Search Faith Middleton, Food Schmooze. Okay, here's what we've got. I've been waiting for this. I want to say the words, Chris. <laughs> Go ahead. Matzah nachos. I love it. Can you believe it? Our guest is David Kirchner. He is a Michelin-trained chef, spent many years running restaurants. He has his own private dining company right now. And he is the recipe creator behind this book called Matza. 35 Recipes for Passover and All Year Long. The author is Michelle Streit Heilbrunn. People who are into matzah will know that name. Okay, David, welcome to the Food Party.
5: Thank you, Faith. Pleasure having me on.
1: Uh, It's our pleasure. So right away I want to get to matzah nachos, and this is with pickled jalapenos. What a great idea this is.
5: We really wanted to figure out ways of incorporating matzah into foods that we love on an everyday basis, so... When Mikey and myself first sat down and did our recipe grid for the book, we basically just started listing all of these amazing, fun, everyday bites that we love. And then we're kind of working backwards to reverse engineer matzah into them.
1: What I'm wondering about, if I were creating this, the worry would be, are matzahs going to get mushy once the liquid of anything goes on them? And so how do you prevent that from happening?
5: The big trick we found was deep frying the matzah before you started.
2: (laughs) Just like you would a tortilla. This is
1: called the setup in broadcasting. Yeah, I was just dying to get you to talk about that. So what we've got is deep fried matzah, and I know you have fallen hard for that. And so, what <laughs> happens is they get crunchy and crispy, and now, of course, nachos. That makes sense. So, let's your ingredients for these um, plum tomatoes, uh, white onion, jalapeno, fresh, fresh lime juice, some cilantro if you like it, extra virgin olive oil a neutral oil for frying. What do you like?
5: I love canola oil. Okay. Natural flavor. If you want to shell out for a little grapeseed oil, really amazing smoking point. I'm a huge fan of that.
1: Okay. So we've got grated cheddar or Mexican cheese or a blend, uh, some pickled jalapenos too, avocado, sour cream, or you could use Greek yogurt. And I want you to tell me how this comes together. Tell me about the frying first.
5: We bring up a pot of oil to about 350 degrees, and you really approach it just like you would fry most chips or most vegetable chips.
1: Can I jump in and ask you a question? Because of I'm a little course. bit scared of frying, <laughs> yes, as Chris knows. You know, when That's people fair. start mentioning yeah. temperatures and thermometers, I start to think, uh-oh, do I really have to get it to 350 degrees, Chris? Yes, I do, he says. Okay. Yes. Why?
5: Um, 350 is really important to prevent things from getting soggy and kind of oil-drenched. Yep. Too you low, know, and things just absorb and become like a sponge of oil. Too high, obviously, they get way too dark, way too quick. So 350 is always that magical number for chefs. Where things get golden brown, they dehydrate the right amount so that they stay nice and crispy. But they have a long enough time in the oil to really dehydrate that amount that it needs to in order to really maintain that crisp over time.
2: So, so Chris is nodding his head. Yeah. And, and I have two words, though. Fry daddy. Buy one of those tabletop fryers, there you go. and it's just it takes all the work out of frying. And some of them wow, are wow, even have it? tops on them now, to where they splatter.
1: Oh, we're going to come back to that in just a second. Okay, so you fry the nachos until they're golden, they're crispy. Out exactly. they come. How do you drain them?
5: Out they come from the fryer. I have a little tray or a plate set up with a couple layers of paper towels on them. I try to lay them out so that they drain pretty well in those paper towels, and then salt them at this point. So you really want to do seasoning here to really wake them up.
3: How do you do
1: your nachos? You do them in a so cast iron nachos. skillet?
5: No, so these are actually, I'll lay them out in a sheet tray uh, lined with tin foil, and I spray with a little bit of Pam just to make life a little bit easier to get them off later. Before I started frying, I've already set my oven for about 400 degrees. I'm covering my masa with all the cheese. I've already taken all those initial ingredients we listed, the tomatoes, the onions, the jalapeno, the lime juice, the cilantro, and I've mixed all that together and set it aside to sit for a pico de gallo topping. So-
2: yum.
1: <laughs> Isn't this fabulous? Isn't it? <laughs> By the way, this recipe and information about this cookbook is on our website, foodschmooze.org. I don't care what your heritage is, your culture, your religion, no matter what. (laughs) Who doesn't want to have matzo nachos? Um, This is just fabulous. So, And how long in the oven?
5: Just a few minutes, five minutes inside the oven until the cheese melts. Yep. Um, Then we top it with all of the pico de gallo. We cut up the avocado, do a little diced avocado across it, a few dollops of sour cream or Greek yogurt. I personally love Greek yogurt. Um, Mm -hmm. And then... Me the too. kicker for me and a lot of these recipes in the book, we really wanted to bring in some fun techniques that people don't really think about when they think about Passover and matzah. I would challenge anybody to try to find a kosher Passover pickled jalapeno out in the <laughs> town. <city. laughs> uh, <laughs> not going to happen.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're going we're to we're make this very popular for you. Um, so, so David Kirchner, who is the recipe creator behind the book called Matzah, but Michelle Streit Heilbrunn is the author of the book and oversees the whole matzah empire. You've got 35 recipes in here for Passover, of course, but all year long, as you can see, with these nachos. You can have them all the time. So matzah is something that I love. And if you don't know anything about this, we're talking about matzah cr- crumbled up with uh, smoked salmon and eggs, usually. Uh, But you've done something here, and Chris just made this. Chris, I want you to talk about how easy this was. You've done something which, to
2: me, is like an inside-out bagel. Totally easy. You just take the matzah and you run it under some water to, you know, soften them a little bit. You break them up into pieces, set it aside, and then you basically caramelize some onions, put a little butter in a pan, throw in your onions, cook them for four minutes or so until they get nice and caramelized, and then you whip some eggs, a little bit of salt and pepper, and then you throw that in on top of the uh, caramelized onions. You throw in smoked salmon, a little bit of dill, some chives, and some capers. And then, uh, oh, and before you put the egg in, you but throw your... But hear that capers. Yeah, capers. Capers
1: <laughs> go inside. Yeah. So this you're starting to see where the inside-out bagel idea comes in? Yeah,
2: but the matzah goes in the egg so it's actually coated with the egg and inside the omelet it's pretty cool
1: yeah it is cool and what i found is i had it i'm always worried about our gluten-free people so we try things both ways with matzah in it and matzah not in it so um it had because of the capers it had a very quite salty feel but when you put the matzah in that completely desalinates it right
5: Absolutely. The masa really is that foil that kind of brings all these elements together and lets them all kind of marry well. I would challenge your listeners, if they were gluten-free, a lot of the companies out there, including Stripes, is my partner on this book, you sell gluten-free matzah, and I won't say it'll work perfectly in every recipe in this book, but this recipe, especially when there's very quick soaking going on, it'll definitely work beautifully. Good to wow. know. See, we
2: were wondering if there was gluten-free matzah on really the market. fantastic. Not only is yep. there, but you have it.
5: They do different kind of spelt flour matzahs. They're experimenting with a few others right now as well. Wow, cool.
1: that's so good. All right, so this is David Kirchner, and this recipe, this matzah braai, is also... L-E-O matzo brai, which everybody knows stands for, well, many people know, lox, eggs, and onions. <laughs> I, call it, I call this recipe the inside-out bagel. So, so um, this is on our website, too, and that's foodschmooze.org with information about the book
2: Matzah. It passed uh, my test because I had two portions. Yeah. It did. And I always yeah, I never so go back for idea. I never go back for a second helping, but today I did because it was so good.
1: Yeah. Uh there were a couple things in here I wanted to talk about uh in addition. I just don't want to run out of time, David, but you have this anytime brisket. And this is like turkey stuffing. I, on certain holidays, people have, you know, your own spaghetti sauce. People have yep. family traditions and history. I'm always thinking, oh, what is everybody going to say? I'm not making anybody's brisket but Nana's brisket. And But you've got an anytime brisket here, and this is really innovative. With matzah, you know, this is that Austrian Spetzel. So, um, brisket, a little bit of oil again, garlic, bay leaves, thyme, tomato paste, red wine, uh, chicken stock, whole carrots, extra virgin olive oil. And then, how do you make the matzah spetzel?
5: Honestly, it is the easiest recipe in the world for something that feels so unique and different. I take about two cups of matzah cake meal. So, this is the finer grind of matzah.
1: Where, Um, Where do you get that?
5: You can find it in most large supermarkets these days especially around passover time if not amazon absolutely has it you can even call up stripes specifically and they'll ship it out to you
2: crown in west hartford yeah that's (laughs) my favorite that's my
1: favorite place okay so so you get the cake meal and you mix with eggs and salt and chicken stock homemade would be best exactly but then nutmeg that's interesting
5: yeah, a little bit of nutmeg. You like that, Chris? Mm, definitely.
1: Chris's mother is
2: Austrian, so yeah, use I'm, a lot I'm always of checking yeah, with her. Yeah, they use a lot of nutmeg in the stuff like this, definitely. Okay. okay, go ahead, David.
5: Yeah, that little bit of nutmeg, it made me almost think of gnocchi when you make that kind of Italian food as well. Uh, um, but we basically mix all of that together, then the technique comes in, which is the whole trick to this dish. Yeah, uh,
1: th- this is the part I'm nervous about, because I look at your picture of what it turns out to be, and I think, now how did he do that? So go ahead, tell me what to do.
5: So you take a large stock pot, um, fill it about three-quarters of the way with water, and we're talking, you know, four- to six-quart stock pot. Bring that water all the way up to a rolling boil over high heat, and then your mixture is going to be a pretty sticky, wet dough. And what you're doing is taking a colander with about, you know, maybe a half-inch holes on them and you're putting this wet dough into the colander and using a rubber spatula and actually scraping it through the colander so you get these little droplets of dough that are going to kind of fall from the colander into your boiling water
2: that's it or you get a special maker
5: or you get a maker. (laughs) and if you make it if you make it more than
2: (laughs) once a year get a special maker Really? Seriously. Because it just takes all the work out of it. Yeah, it's a. But, you've so filled a little cartridge with, of it. With and,
1: a colander with holes about, yeah. what did you say,
5: half inch? Did you say? Between a quarter to a half inch.
1: Okay. And then you just rubbing with the back of a, a spoon or a, a spatula. And of course, it's pushing the dough through. And there you go. Okay. My mom I,
2: makes it on the edge of a cutting board, which is the old school method. So they make the dough a little heavier. So not so wet. And then with the back of a knife, she just flicks the little pieces into the boiling water. It's it's pretty wild to watch.
1: That is amazing. Well, (laughs) this this is a beautiful. I think that's it. And this recipe also is on our website, foodschmooze.org, with information about this book, Matzah, 35 Recipes for Passover and All Year Long. Michelle Strait Heilbrunn is creator of the Matza empire. And David Kirchner, our guest, is the recipe creator who collaborates with her. And it's so fun to talk with you about this stuff. Let's move right straight to dessert. And Chris, I'm not forgetting that I want to hear about this deep fryer right, that you were talking right, yeah, about yeah. that you can buy. Takes all the work out of frying. Okay, desserts in your book, David, you did matza. Chocolate chip cookies. (laughs) What makes them as good as regular flour-based chocolate chip cookies or better?
5: Oh, they're amazing. With matzah? So it's really this balance between the ingredients. So we're talking matzah cake meal, matzah meal, a little bit of baking soda that's inside of there as well, and then just that right amount of butter and sugar cream together.
1: Okay. So the texture, is there a graininess to the – because that's what I would imagine. Because
2: that's two different – which would grinds, right? The, the matzah cake and matzah meal and are two different grinds. I would grinds.
5: like that. So absolutely, yeah. is that it? I mean, you would think that there would be, but. They just really blend together, and as wow. they cook out, it's a drop cookie technique. It spreads out really beautifully on, you know, your soap pad or, or your baking on your silicone pad and gets super crispy. The potato starch in there really acts to help it get that crunch on Oh,
1: I see. Super crispy. Now, that's my idea of a chocolate chip cookie. I know you people like, the like them once? soft. I just happen to be in the other camp, yeah. and so
5: this— well, these are Wow, you're gonna love these because it's that perfect balance. You get to the edge of the cookie, it's oh. that crispy, snappy part, and the middle is just gooey and just gorgeous. I won't I'm tell
1: sold. You. Oh, I'm, I'm kind of sold I mean, myself. David, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. David Kirchner is the recipe collaborator and creator behind this book, Matza 35 Recipes for Passover and All Year Long. Michelle Streit Heilbrunn of the Matza Empire <laughs> is the author of the book officially. And uh, it's been a pleasure having you. And Chris, quickly, your fryer that you can buy is called a what? The Fry Daddy.
2: Everybody knows what a fry daddy is. Now I'm more. Now you know. Come I'm on. Mortified. No, you okay. know.
1: I'm always learning on this show. So, okay. So a fry daddy, and it makes everything easy? It makes,
2: it's a tabletop plug-in fryer. <laughs> has a lid on it so you can store it. it, it, it I don't it have make, to worry about fry, temperature. Again, if you or... fry more than once a year, you need to have one of these. They're like $25, $30. Bucks.
1: Okay. It. I'm going for it. David, thank you. I'm going for you, too. Thanks. <laughs> no
5: okay. problem. Thank you for having me. Again. You're
1: welcome. Bye-bye. Check out the book and our website, Moose. News.org. Thank you, Chris. We're on WNPR, Thursdays at 3, Saturdays at noon, weekdays. Listen for my 60-second food schmoozes. You know our slogan, never eat more than you can lift. In New Haven, I'm Faith Middleton.
4: Everybody eats when they come to mind.
1: Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast on your schedule. And when you need a little more party in your life, we're here online at foodschmooze.org. And we hope you'll talk with us on Facebook. We're at Faith Middleton Food